Greetings. We're glad you've returned to the Black and Grim Podcast, an original horror fiction performance. Come in. Come in. I am Mr. Black, narrator and host of our beloved podcast. Tonight, it is my dark pleasure to share another episode for Season 1. Grim has been at it again to provide you another thrilling peek into Danny Preston's life. Tonight, it delves deeper into Appalachia in search of answers. Will he find them? Or will his journey meet with bitter disappointment? Now, Gather close, so you might hear episode 8 of Danny's River. Answers didn't come cheaply. They rode on death's pale horse. We should have known better than to stop at a place called Poke's Bait and Tackle. I should have expected the worst, considering how high the cards stacked against me. But the rain pelted the windshield with unrelenting fervor and smacked the metal shell with such unflinching derision. Scott maneuvered his car into the first parking lot we found that didn't run adjacent to a steep drop. The car idled on uneven pavement as we weighed available options. Venture inside to use the facilities and ask for directions or remain in the car to wait out the storm. Neither option seemed particularly appealing. Lightning burst above us, offering illumination our headlights couldn't match. I love to say we stumbled across a quaint nugget of Americana, but the truth leaned closer to hillbilly hell. Each time the sky lit with bleached brilliance, we glimpsed more of our surroundings. The name, scrawled on a half-destroyed sign next to the road, read in gigantic flaking paint, Pokes, and in smaller, slightly crooked lettering, Bait and Tackle. A flickering neon open sign glared to the right of a glass doorway. Whether because of distance or storm, I couldn't see anything through the door. Soggy trash littered the lot. Overzealous weeds overtook large concrete patches. They struggled to reach skyward, as if in defiance to the raging storm. Besides our vehicle, we saw only one other. A jacked up truck of some indeterminate color squatted next to a rusty gas pump. By how it leaned, I figured the shop hadn't provided gas to travelers in quite a while. A gimpy light nestled in the flimsy canopy, cast a truck and pump in enough shadow, I shivered nervously, fighting expectation a deranged killer would climb from the bed at any moment. Should we go in? I asked, not wanting an answer. This storm has gotten us turned around, Miranda said. If we just keep driving, we might drive the wrong way for hours before we even know it. 
Though firm, her voice hinted a nervousness that matched my own. Doesn't mean we have to go inside. We've come this far. Scott surveyed the building, as one might study an exceedingly distasteful specimen. When another thunderclap trailed a brilliant, rather close lightning strike, he winced. His tone distant, his gaze unwavering despite the wince. My best friend reminded me of someone preparing to engage in an unwanted task. But then, wasn't that exactly what we were doing? I opened my mouth to speak, to offer condolences for some perceived sin I committed when he added, I think we should leave the car here. It's a good idea two of us stay outside so nobody pops up with some funny ideas. Just safe side, you know? Good idea, Kara muttered. I concur, Miranda said, glancing to the side through the nearly fogged over window. A frown slowly crept between her cheeks as she swept a hand across the glass. The storm does not appear to be letting up. Truly, one might think nature means to deter our progress at each juncture. Curious. Spooky, I mumbled more to myself than to the others. Straightening, I asked, does anyone feel like we keep steeping deeper into horror movies territory? We've been in one quite a while now, Kara said. I got guard duty. There's no way I'm setting foot in there. No thank you. She folded her arms in a protective hugging gesture and slumped deeper into her seat. I didn't really understand why she had wanted to come and honestly, I didn't wholly trust her after the earlier creep fest. I will go in. Miranda met my eyes as I pivoted in my seat to goggle at her. It makes the most sense, as I, presumably, have more training in self-defense than any of you. I will go in. I'll come with. Reluctance teased away any confidence I might have had. Since my family's death, Events operated along a curiously specific pattern. Dark forces loomed from the shadows, imposing their wills upon my life. Todd Wilkinson should have been where the nightmare began and ended. It didn't though. The nightmare kept going, so that now, far from anywhere remotely familiar, I suddenly doubted I wanted any more answers. I can go with it. My attention diverted to Scott. He gripped the steering wheel like a man holding on to a rotted board in the middle of an ocean. He'd go inside, despite not wanting to. My doubts and frustrations towards him faltered before weathering away when I looked into my best friend, no, my brother's face, and saw resolution. There were brave men in the world, knights who buffered back the darkness and, at peril to their own well-being, stood between you and evil. I saw in him the last of those nights, and I couldn't let him fight this battle for me. No, brother, I said gently. I tried, perhaps succeeded, to speak with bravery I didn't harbor. I got this. Outside, the rain pelted the world. Exchanging nervous glances with the former policewoman, 
I reached for the door. Thunder boomed beyond the trees, separating the station from the rest of the world. Ignoring it, I opened the door and stuck one leg out. Immediately, icy water saturated my leg, causing the denim to press closer to the chill flesh. Behind me, Miranda opened her door. A simple gust of wind saturated my upper frame as I propelled out into the gloomy air. Quickly closing the door, I kept my hand pressed against the car, drawing on its bulk for support as I worked my way around the side mirrors and front bumper. A moment's hesitation, and then, with Miranda next to me, I started towards the store. As I walked, I envisioned a younger me, perhaps seven or eight years old, clutching my teddy bear as I moved towards my bedroom closet. It wasn't fear of the dark or whatever skulked inside. No, I had my stuffed animal and words from my father I carried with me ever after. They are only monsters, he said to me when I cried for my dinosaur nightlight to remain on. They are only monsters and Prestons are brave. We do not hide when they poke from under our beds. We do not cover our ears when they snarl from our closets. We are Prestons, and Prestons will charge right in and shine the light into darkness. We stand, even if it is alone. Sure, it was probably too deep for my kid's brain to process. At the time, I just knew it meant I could kick the monster's butts. Now, my childhood seemed a distant memory. Traipsing through the soggy hellscape with the icy water saturating and soaking into me, some final nails were hammered into the coffin that was my life. When I tripped on cracked pavement, weighted down by rapidly collecting rainwater, another piece, another component of yesteryears, flung free. I was, in effect, walking towards disillusion. Wait a moment. Miranda's fingers touched my arm, almost absent-mindedly. My thoughts retreated, forcing aside thoughts of childhood and dread at the coming interaction. A lull in the rainfall caught my attention, prompting me to glance upwards. The roof stretched outward a few fingers' length to offer temporary reprieve from the elements. Granted, it didn't really matter. We were already wet. When my companion's grip tightened, I lowered my head again. What? I will enter first, she said, nodding towards the closed door. Look through the glass. Tell me what you see. An odd, unnecessary quality resounded in the suggestion. To our right, the neon sign flickered ominously, inviting us in, even if entering proved perilous. Yet, it did indicate important information. The store had power of some sort, if only a backup generator. Miranda's expression didn't change when I stopped looking at the sign. At least, it didn't soften. If anything, her features tightened, lending a peculiar ferocity the wetness enhanced rather than diminish. Fine, 
I grumbled irritably, though I knew she had her reasons for wanting me to look. So, swallowing, I cut my hands around my eyes, as if by forming fleshy finger binoculars I'd see more clearly, and leaned towards the door. My eyes drifted left and right, not once, six times, before I dropped my arms and propelled backwards. Ice flushed my veins as my legs jellied. There's nothing in there. Not a... It's empty. Indeed. Then why is there... I couldn't finish the question. Only nod towards the sign. Stranger still, it had stopped flickering. And the faint electric hum all shitty electrical equipment seemed to have didn't feel the spaces between the rain and thunderclaps. We need to get back to the car. Trepidation in her voice, rather than the conscious comprehension of what was going on, ensured my obedience. I moved out into the rain again, with the small woman behind me, her strong hand on my shoulder as if guiding me, or using my larger size as a shield. When my feet skidded on wet pavement, she caught me with one hand and, somehow, kept me upright. Her jaw tightened, though I suspected the strain from my weight had less to do with it than the store. We made it halfway across the parking lot when the sky adopted a sizzling breathlessness. In that space between auditory overload, I met my best friend's eyes as he stared at us through his car's windshield. His eyes rounded then expanded. Suddenly, Scott started yelling and waving his hands wildly, though his words were muffled. I made out a single word, behind, when a single, completely unexpected sound echoed through my ears. The truck driver's side door closing. You ain't supposed to be here. Run, Danny, to the car! Miranda hissed, shoving me forward so I wouldn't look back. Instead of running towards the car, my foot twisted and I nearly face-planted a grimy puddle. Somehow, my shirt snagged on, well, I don't have a clue what it snagged on, but it caught on something and tore a rather heinous gash in the fabric. Hey now, girl, there's no need for that. The deep country drawl catapulted from the newcomer's mouth, sounding almost like he chewed on the words before delivering them. And more, he chewed laughter right along with the words. Get up, Daniel! Miranda snapped. I felt her legs press against me, and as I tried to regain footing without slipping, her palms shoved me towards my friends. Why you keep pushing that boy, girl? menace in the man's voice. Menace and a rising threat. I managed to get to my knees, but when I craned my head to see what he looked like, my palms lost their grip on the ground. This time, my cheek hit pavement with a hard thud and a giant splash. <laughs> this earned open laughter from the man. Never you mind. Seems he can't keep his feet on them anyway. Who are you? Miranda demanded. Another car door opened. 
Disoriented, I couldn't tell which direction the sound originated from. Then, as I started the standing process again, Miranda shouted, Scott, come help your friend! Get him to the car! There's no need for that. Now get back in your truck, mister! Scott's voice, close. Hands, strong hands helped me to my feet. My vision swam. During my last tumble, I had scraped my brow, and now blood flowed down my face. I got you, man, my friend said in my ear as he half carried, half dragged me towards the passenger side. What do you want? Miranda demanded behind us. You came to old Pope's place, girl. So Pope got a question for you. Why you snooping around where you ain't got no business being? Seems like you looking for a whole heap of trouble if you're asking me. The man's voice loomed closer now and yet he didn't seem to have moved from where he stood next to his truck. At the same time, Scott pleaded, Come on, Denny, pick up your feet, please, brother. Keep your hands where I can see them, Miranda commanded. Desperation bonded with righteous authority as she spoke. I pulled away from Scott enough to see her rigid back and her arms aimed at the man, the stranger I still couldn't clearly see. Her revolver lifted and split the rain as it fell down around her. Miranda's stance partially concealed her sharp features. However, despite the angle, she shifted her eyes to meet mine without fully removing her attention from the man. Put that old pea shooter down. I asked you a question. Let go, Scott. I can walk. I snarled when Scott's hand spun me painfully towards the car. Smaller, gentler hands grabbed my other arm and, in a panicked moment, I jerked away. Then, as my vision focused, I registered Kara's fear-bleached face, imploring me to come with them. Danny, there's something wrong with him. Stop fighting so we can help you, she said, her face softening, hardening, morphing between fear and resolution. Kara's vision captured me even as it moved beyond me to the man I had yet to see. I am not answering your question! Coldness supplanted Miranda's dread. In her voice, I witnessed the lawman she would always be, the incorruptible officer, placing herself in harm's way, not for the greater good, but because of her goodness. Get the door, Scott said over my head. A moment later, the passenger side door opened. Rainwater spit from the heavens, mingling with the blood unable to crust over my forehead. I swiped a free hand across my aching brow and pressed fingertips against my eyelids. When my hand pulled away, the pain had worsened, but my vision improved. I peered sideways at my friend, who motioned for me to get in and then to Kara. She wasn't paying attention to us any longer. Instead, she watched the scene unfolding behind us. Danny! I slowly swiveled my head towards Scott. Frustration played behind his concern. Wanting my compliance and, honestly, questioning why I wasn't, emotions warred on his face. Finally, breathing deeply, he reached forward 
and shove me down into the seat. Before I could yell or utter any sound beyond a disheveled grunt, the door slammed in my face. Seconds later, another door opened and Scott shoved Kara onto the back seat. Stay here, both of you. Scott commanded before closing us off from the outside world. Behind me, the artist shifted uncomfortably in her seat. When I didn't turn to comfort her, or simply because she needed something I couldn't provide, some emotional anchor to rally to, Kara whined. I should have stayed home. This is crazy, absolutely insane. I didn't disagree with her, but then the bitter thought she didn't have to come passed through my brain. I repositioned in my seat so I could see better, but due to the steady rain beating against the car's roof, I couldn't hear Miranda, Scott, or the stranger's own speech. Perhaps petulance gripped me then, perhaps darker impulses. Regardless, I opened the door and ignoring Kara's pleas, stepped out into the rain again. This time, however, I could see the man who called himself Poke. Put the knife down! Miranda was yelling. Miranda! Scott ran towards her with more grace than I'd shown. Bitterly, I found myself envying his athleticism. Nothing about this sudden jealousy was rational, but at the time seemed absolutely valid. I'm glad he didn't slip because the hillbilly might have murdered him. Now the truck parked under the canopy was a big one, but I don't know how the man managed to get in or out of the damn thing. Upon registering the unfolding scene, I didn't initially process how big the guy was. He towered over all of us. We weren't even Davids to this Goliath. We were ants to pretty much anything else. Hard, tanned flesh stretched over a muscled frame whose girth looked the kind earned from hard labor rather than reps in the gym. A thick, tobacco-tinged blonde beard covered half of the biggest face I'd seen in real life, and cold eyes watched us with murderous mirth. The rain seemingly left his stained, dark splotches reminiscent of dried blood, tanned shirt, and greasy pants untouched. He stalked towards Miranda with the litheness his size shouldn't permit. A wicked knife, glistening even in the gloom, rose from his giant fist. Honestly, if he stabbed any of us, it looked long enough to pierce right through the other side, regardless of what direction the blade entered our body. What's wrong with you, man? Scott yelled. To Miranda, he added, Come on! We need to get out of here! Now! He tugged at her shoulder, but not with the same force he moved me. I stood, watching them, breath catching in my throat as the store's proprietor closed in. The giant's only answer was to hoist his knife higher and grin. Shockingly, his teeth weren't the stained and warred nubs you would associate with backwoods tobacco connoisseurs. No. Poke's smile was a shark smile, white, razor-pointed rose, endless, monstrous. Lower your weapon! Snorting with derision, the man stalked closer. 
Miranda, with Scott's hand guiding her, backpedaled towards our car's driver's side. Kara cracked the door, but didn't push it open. I wanted to climb inside once more, to offer some semblance of comfort. Yet, instinct suggested I wait, though my head throbbed and the wetness seeped deeper than my skin. Frightened sniffles echoed inside the car, and, though I wasn't able to see her, I knew she was crying. Even the strongest people have breaking points. Things with her had gotten increasingly weird, but I didn't think she deserved this terror. The need to protect her, to protect everyone, battled my own fear. You best believe I ain't letting go of my weapon. But you folks gonna wanna deal with Poke, more than you're gonna wanna deal with folks in Hoplin's Cove. Perhaps the most unnerving thing about all this occurred just then. The giant man blanched, as if thinking about some infernal possibilities, and shivered. His eyes wandered to his blade momentarily. Smiling, he readjusted his grip and added, course only ignorant folks go mess around them parts, so I might as well kill y'all now. What the fuck do you know about Hoplin's Cove? I screamed, leaning out over the open door. Answer me! Danny! Listen, boy. Get in the goddamn car, Danny! Scott jerked Miranda backward, and as he yelled, thrust her towards the car. He slammed a fist on the roof, splashing water and drawing my attention. Get in the fucking car, both of you! A violent thunderclap reverberated, startling each of us in turn. My skin crawled in sudden terror. My blood iced over and I started to comply with my friend's order. Started to, until Poke spoke. <laughs> I know a whole lot, boy. I know that place gonna eat you alive. Another wicked smirk, another step towards us. You lie, I cried. You don't know anything. What the hell are you doing? Yelled Scott. Come on, man. We gotta get out of here. Ignoring him, gripped by insanity's strange compulsion, I stepped farther away from the car. I had, without realizing it, isolated myself from the others. My stride isn't short. Long limbs directed me towards open pavement in seconds. And as Kara pressed an open palm against the window, as Miranda hesitated halfway to the back seat, as Scott pounded on his roof, the gargantuan brute settled his full attention to me. Pope be a lot of things, boy, but a liar ain't one of them. I opened my mouth to spew curses. Instead, I asked, What about Todd Wilkinson? You familiar with that name? Now, I know my companions weren't too thrilled we hadn't gone skidding back out on the road yet. But I had to... I needed to know all these crazy threads wound together into some cohesive pattern. Otherwise, what the hell was the point? 
several things happen in such quick succession, I'm not really sure what happened first. A gunshot. A voluminous roar. Screaming. As if cued, the rain tapered off and thunder dwindled to a distant grumbling. I stood, dripping from head to toe, screaming as the big mountain man tumbled, then fell to the ground in front of me. Not dead, I didn't think, but incapacitated. He lay on the pavement, chest heaving with stitched breaths. Were it not for this, I might have thought him dead. Movement caught my attention, forcing me to look away. Miranda, followed closely by my livid best friend, circumnavigated the car, weapon held in preparation for additional use. She told you to put the knife down, Scott quipped. Not the time. Miranda barely glanced over her shoulder at him, but the disapproving frown proved satisfactory to elicit an embarrassed flush. Come over here, Daniel. Please. My mind started to catch up with the previous minute. A gunshot. A voluminous roar. Screaming. First, the roar in response to my final question about Todd Wilkinson. When I said the name, Polk rushed for it. Knife hefted so it pierced my guts when he crashed into me. The gunshot. Quick reflexes allowed Miranda to swiftly aim and destroy the brute's left kneecap mere strides from me. Pitilessly, I considered the fact he had never have normal use of the limb again. But who had screamed? Me. I did. Because I had seen something in my attacker's face I hadn't seen since I had been trapped in Kara's truck with my family's murderer hovering over me. I saw a monster's ravenous need. Y'all gonna get yours. When it's over, y'all gonna wish y'all had come round these parts. Y'all gonna wish you done let Poke show his mercy to y'all. The giant spoke through clenched teeth, causing his accent to deepen to almost illegible levels. Bright crimson tinted his lips, bearing harsh contrast to the surrounding gloom. Leveling a hard, unblinking stare at me, he pushed himself into a position somewhere between kneeling and sitting. What do you know? Uh, lots more than you want, boy. Uh, lots more. Why you asking about these things? Huh? You tell me why y'all want... Uh! A sharp intake of breath as the man shifting put pressure on his ruined knee. His dark eyes widened and for a split second I thought he might, somehow, regain his footing and attack. Sinking down, he didn't though. He lowered his head, which now glistened with sweat, pressed a fist against the wet concrete. The spell broken. I started towards my companions again. How did we get into this mess? Adrenaline pumped venom through me, keeping my heart set to its highest tempo. My hands wanted to delve into my pockets to keep myself from fidgeting, or more likely to keep the nervous tremors to a minimum 
The gorge rose and fell within me, urging my stomach to flip and spew whatever contents I had managed to hold on to by this point. I had been a lumbering oaf, decidedly, uncharacteristically clumsy, a knot formed between my tongue and esophagus. It wound so tightly I could not swallow properly, and my breath painfully hitched after every handful of heartbeats. Despite all this, I returned to the car fairly quickly. If and you know, if and y'all heard the man goes by Todd Wilkinson, then you in a whole helping of trouble. Y'all go on now. Hoppin's Cove ain't far now. I ain't far at all. You just gonna let us go? Scott demanded. Just like that? Not to seem ungrateful, but uh, how should I say this? You appear to have an elevated interest in contributing to our untimely demise. Scott, I heard Miranda murmur. She leaned closer towards him and had I not been next to the car at this point, I would have heard what she said. I do not want you to get hurt. Please do not provoke him more than necessary. We have to get away from here and I do not wish for harm to come to you, to any of you. Huh? Okay. You sure? Do we need to call the local police to come and take care of him? I opened the passenger door and tapped on the roof. They both cast a scalding glare that caused my resilience to wither even further. Sorry, I managed. My skull throbbed from my earlier fall, and as rational thought re-entered my brain, I understood how stupid I'd been. Even seated? The giant's head stood above my waist, and with less separation than before, I noted his arms' corded muscles and the great maws that were his hands. Embarrassed isn't quite the word, as a heavy dose of fear swirled around the mix, but I was as close to embarrassment as anything when I finally dropped my gaze to the car roof. Then, foolish in its way, I wanted to know as Scott did, why Poke changed his mind about attacking us. Honestly, I didn't think it had as much to do with his blasted knee as it would someone much, much smaller. So, inclining my head, I posited my friend's question again, and got an answer for my troubles. Poke loosed a grizzly's roar, and with impossible grace, lunged towards me. He didn't remain seated, per se, nor did he come to his full height. Instead, imagine a caged animal. Imagine its cunning mind working until it finds a tiny opening, imperceptible to anyone else. Then, take this mental image one step more. The beast draws on all its strength for a final mad dash to the opening. If you do this, you will come close to what I saw. His ruined leg didn't matter, only causing harm. The knife flashed, and in his other hand, a smaller, duller metal glinted. It wasn't until later on, after we had left, I'd realized what he wielded. At the time, my distressed mind conjured a ring of some sort, or even brass knuckles. Miranda fired and a bloody spray fanned out behind his left shoulder 
as the bullet seared flesh. Even so, it didn't slow his movement. So she fired again, and again. Her efforts seemingly met with no more than freed viscera. The storekeeper didn't falter. Rather, he switched his trajectory mid-lunge towards her. She shoved Scott into the driver's seat and, before he could stop her, slammed the door in his face. Then, placing her hip against the car's siding to prevent him from getting out, pulled the trigger two more times. A bullet struck Polk's wrist, forcing the knife to fall from his grip, but he didn't stop. I watched, dumbstruck, as the hillbilly dwarfed her. Time crawled to a meaty standstill. Somehow, between frightened blinks, the brute managed to nearly reach his full height and bring his other fist towards Miranda's unprotected torso. At the same time, with equally preternatural speed, the former cop lifted her weapon so the barrel aimed squarely at his face. Miranda emptied the clip as he slammed into her. She grunted with the impact, but sidestepped enough so he fell, dead, to the wet pavement. His massive hand slid down her front before crashing to the earth. You okay? I asked. I'd never seen someone killed in front of me. On the screen, maybe, but not where I could smell the metallic gore and blooming shit. Death isn't anything like you imagine. It's not as well coordinated as action movies or video games make you think. We were alive though. Miranda, are you okay? She lowered her arms and turned a pale face towards me. I am fine. Come, we have to get out of here. Shouldn't we call someone or check his truck for for clues or something? I suspect it will be wise to get out of here, she said, holstering her weapon and opening the car to climb back in. That... it doesn't seem right. We're not the bad guys here. Besides, who says that man is really Poke? You know, the shopkeeper? Poke's bait and tackle? The place was fucking empty. He could be some crazy person. Leveling a hard look at me, she said, I am confident his name is Polk, at least that he is the proprietor of this establishment. However, I think his purpose here is not to sell fishing gear. I suspect we witnessed his purpose. To attack us? Why would anyone be waiting for us to pass through here? It's not like anyone would... Cutting in, she said. Not us specifically. More than likely, he and others have spots such as these to trap people who get lost in these mountains. People who leave the beaten path and make one too many wrong turns. Still, it is fortuitous in a way. We seem to be heading the right direction. Your answers are close, I think. Hear me. When I tell you to run, hide, or whatever, from this point on, you will listen. Otherwise, we turn back. Do you understand? I nodded affirmation. Good. Now get in before... before the storm starts up again.
we drove towards darkness and relative silence. At least, we didn't speak to one another. Once she had told the others to plan and reloaded her firearm, Miranda settled against the door, her head pressed to the glass, and her arm wrapped around her waist. Kara's eyes moved to each of us and, occasionally, when I looked out my own window, I saw her reflection's mouth open, only to promptly close again. Scott's teeth ground and one arm propped up to lean his head against while the other steered the car. He stared out the windshield. Every few miles, he'd shake his head and rub his mouth as if trying to scrub away something distasteful. Me? I just let my eyes wander where they wanted and kept my mouth shut. I clutched the amulet in one hand, running my thumb over it in an abstract, thoughtless sort of way. After the pulsing back at the overlook, I had dropped it in the cup holder. Small comforts get us through the darkest hours. Nothing made sense anymore, so I took what sucker I could and the amulet's weight and how it felt against my skin. Whether arcane magic fueled it or its effects were linked towards my deteriorating sanity, Anne's gift provided some link to a world I could understand. A world where monsters only crept in the shadows of imagination and families had normal dysfunctions. Sure, I received the wooden disc from a woman who owned an occult shop whose daughter had gone into a strange trance earlier in our trip. While our last conversation hadn't been on great terms, I understood there were evils more deserving of my animosity than folks who only meant to help. Unexpectedly, I felt shame at the rift growing between Kara and myself, especially considering all we had been through since I met her. Hell, I was ashamed of the damage knowing me had caused all three of my companions. I'm sorry. What was that? Scott said. His harsh tone overshadowed my quiet apology. More, he seemed to realize it, and more gently he asked, What'd you say, man? I said I'm sorry. Why? Miranda asked, shifting in her seat. As I readjusted my seatbelt, I tucked the amulet under my crotch so it wouldn't fall to my feet and roll where I couldn't reach it. I turned so I could see them. Clearing my throat, I answered, I'm sorry I got you guys into this mess. None of you. You wouldn't be here if it weren't for me. You're right. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you, Kara said. I would have drowned in that river because you wouldn't have been there to save me. Not that I need a hero or anything. Miranda added, You are not responsible for much of what has happened. I am! I blurted. Anger, hurt, and sorrow vied for control. My face, now a few days past needing a decent shave, contorted as each emotion exerted temporary dominance. You are not. I am responsible for myself. For choosing to side with you when the odds are stacked against us. She spoke carefully, as if uttering the words pained her. The pixie-like woman matched stares with me for only a heartbeat, 
before her calm eyes returned to the passing scenery. I chose to seek answers with you, with all of you. I chose to kill that man because otherwise he would have harmed all of us. Why did we leave him? Kara asked, saving me from the question plaguing my own thoughts. I have answered this question, but as it is not enough, let me ask this. What do you think would happen if an honest officer had been sent to the scene? At this juncture, we can assume that I am wanted by the authorities. We can assume they are looking for you, Daniel. What is she talking about? The artist asked me. She leaned forward, gripping the seat's headrest, and frowned. Danny? Is... What aren't you telling me? I executed my commander. Miranda shifted to address the younger woman. I have distrusted you from the start. I apologize, as it is why they have kept this from you. We, the four of us now, are mixed up into something far worse than just a crazed murderer. Call it fate. Call it chance. Call it damnation for all that matters. Really? I... I don't believe you. So, as the sun spilled its grayish gold into the horizon to usher in the night, Miranda recounted what she had told Scott, then me, about the events occurring prior to the car crash. You're saying... What are you saying? Kara asked when she finished. We are searching for answers to questions much grander than Danny's. We may find worse than Todd Wilkinson in Hoplin's Cove. Almost certainly, actually. Scott abruptly slammed on the brakes, impelling us forward against the dashboard or seat. I started to voice frustration, as did the others. Look! He pointed forward, towards a spot just off the center of where the headlights revealed. At first, I couldn't make out anything. Where the mountains are resplendent in daylight, they exude ominous sameness when night blankets the earth. After my initial once-over, I finally discovered the reason he had hit the brakes. Is that? Yep, I would have missed it too. It's getting so dark, but my brights hit the sign just right. Scott referred to the drooping sign, partially tucked behind scraggly bushes. The kind of sign you would drive right by, under other circumstances. An arrow indicated we had need to turn left, though the distance remained obscured by nature's battery. That sign says we need to go that way, he continued, pointing towards a narrow road opposite the road sign, the direction it indicated. That doesn't appear to be a well-maintained road. I noticed how the white and yellow lines you find on most public roads tapered off a few yards in. Apprehension soured my relief we had actually found proof we had driven the right way. Are we really sure we want to do this? Kara asked, half-heartedly. I'm getting real horror movie vibes right now. Ah, never mind. I already know the answer to that. This earned a weak laugh from the rest of us. Nobody, I think, wanted to go any further. The ladies looked pallid in the dim interior light. Kara chewed on her bottom lip as she scanned our surroundings. Miranda's breath sounded ragged. Poke must have hit her harder than I thought if she still struggled to recover. 
Scott and I fare a little better than they did. It's said that men are the protectors. They're supposed to wield bravery like medieval warriors wielded shields. I didn't feel brave. Instead, I felt like the kid I was, scared and needing his mama. If only those things mattered. Yep, take us in, I answered, fighting the nervous chill that wanted to flit along my spine. I didn't voice the new concern worming its way into my head. The giant poke warned us we had not liked what we found in Hoplin's Cove. Kara's mom seemed frightened of the place too. Increasingly, I believed Todd's first letter to me, the one where he spun some ludicrous story about my mom, was pure fiction. Slowly, my mind worked over the details and what I knew about my own family. The first letter didn't jive with the ones he had sent mom, the ones I had read earlier in the day. What awaited us down this unlit road? Regardless, my best friend lifted his foot from the brake pedal and made the easy turn onto the road that would eventually lead into Hoplin's Cove. My companions and I settled into our seats, scanning the Stygian forest, trees unyielding to civilization for any signs of life. I think we all shared the concern someone would lie in wait, as Pope did at his desolate store to catch us off guard. But as our most calms before a storm, the drive proved only bumpy and, despite the ever-encroaching creepiness, relatively uneventful. We crawled through the mountains for about half an hour without incident or any alteration in landscape. Weariness eventually overtook me. So much so, the unending sameness nearly guided me into sleep. My eyes fluttered closed several times as I steadily lost the battle with consciousness when the car careened into a nearly perilous stop. This time, however, we immediately saw why Scott had slammed on the brakes. We all climbed from the car as he parked in the middle of the road. I didn't think it would matter to anyone where we parked anyway. I've seen enough movies in my relatively short life that I know when I'm looking at a roadblock. Still, the word is an injustice to what we actually saw. Someone or someones had piled jagged branches from one side of the road to the other, higher than Scott and I would be if one of us stood on the other's shoulders. The branches resembled bleached bone, though some of them were definitely much thicker than any human bone I'd ever seen. As if this wasn't bad enough, closer inspection revealed various crucified animal carcasses, their forms pierced by finger-like offshoots. We huddled together, Kara pressed against my side, as if I could possibly protect her from this barbarism. This is fucked up, Scott whispered. There's a path just off the road. How much do you want to bet it leads around this whatever this is and into town? I asked, pointing towards the right-hand side. We should return to the car, Scott said as he tried to turn away from the atrocity. I can't... I don't know how much more of this I can handle, man. I mean, 
who would do this to animals? It's sick. Like, I've seen some strange things lately, but this? This tastes a whole whopping cake. He threw out his hands as he spoke, as if he could encompass the roadblock in his long arms and physically remove it from our path. To my surprise, I heard tears in his voice and glimpsed wetness on his cheeks. Even in the dark, surprisingly in the night, they stood out. I have to go forward. We had turned to Miranda, who had taken several small steps away from us as Scott spoke. Even in the car's headlights, we could see something amiss with her. Cheeks alternated between too ruddy and too pallid, and she kept a hand pressed against her belly. I saw something red on her hands. Thinking it might only be the glare from the car's headlights, I leaned closer. Huh? Why are you bleeding? I demanded, moving towards her. I reached for her hand, intending to remove it, from a spot I should have noticed since she had been holding it since we left the store. Smiling weakly, she moved a half step beyond my reach. However, Miranda removed her hand and lifted her jacket outward to reveal a large blood stain spoiling her shirt. He got me. But he didn't have his knife. He dropped it. I, I saw it fall. Another faint smile accompanied her response. He had some long nails in his other hand. <sighs> had them out between the knuckles and... When he hit me, he punctured something. I did not pull them out, hoping we could find... Well, it does not matter now. The bumpy road has caused some shifting and, I believe, something nasty has gotten into my bloodstream. Why didn't you tell us? Kara this time. How would it have mattered? Scott drove as quickly as he could and... I would not have allowed him to turn back. My life... But the answers we need. I think it a fine price to pay. That's stupid. Perhaps, she said, musingly. But here we are. We must venture beyond this... wall, and see what medical help we can acquire. Time might remain on my side, or stand against me. Either way, we must go forward. Daniel, go grab my bag from the car. It is in the back floorboards. Why do you need your bag? Ammo. I'll get it, Kara said. Without waiting for any response, she darted from my side and passed Scott. We watched as she grabbed Miranda's bag, naturally a practical beige backpack, and start back towards us. She reached the front of the car when she stopped, holding a finger in the air as signal for us to wait. She opened the driver's door and reached inside. The headlights shut off and, as our eyes adjusted to the new lighting, she jogged our way. Here, she said, handing Scott his keys. Then she pressed the amulet into my hands and, affectionately, squeezed my fingers as she pulled away. Thank you. Miranda held out her hand to take the pack. No, if you're hurt, I'll carry it. I suggest you let someone else hold your gun. I have a feeling it'll be needed. Miranda offered the weapon, but it was Scott who took the piece from her. Let's go. And with those words, 
we started towards the path leading into Hoplin's Cove. This has been a Black and Grim production. The Black and Grim podcast is an original horror fiction production and cannot be reproduced without written consent from the creators. The author, Grim, owns all rights to the story. Reproduction or use without written consent from the author is strictly prohibited. Thank you for joining us for episode 8 of Danny's River. Will Miranda survive the night? What is the purpose of the macabre roadblock? Find out next time. Uh, Grim? Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> <laughs>